now I, I do my thing, now right? Now I do my thing. Okay, it's my turn, he says. <laughs> hey, it's good to see you all. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's a little thrown together today while we're indoors, uh, but I'm happy to be indoors. It's, it's been a while since we've had church in this building. Um, we were joking today that someone that helping with setup said, man, it feels like Christmas in here. And then I said, because that's the last time we were in here. Uh, it feels like that. It was late February, I think the last week of February when we were here. So it's been a while. It's nice to be back. Uh, this has been uh, an interesting season for everyone, right? A lot of changes. Uh, everything now seems to go virtual. Even things that shouldn't be virtual are virtual. I got a wedding invitation via email uh, with a Zoom link, uh, which was interesting because I was like, I didn't think a, a wedding over Zoom. You don't have to spend a lot on the, on the venue, I guess. That's good. And uh, you can keep the guest list as big as you want. You don't have to worry about anything. So I was like, hey, wh-. and that awkward flower toss, not, not a thing. The awkwardness of the wedding's not a thing. The da- wondering if anyone was going to dance wouldn't be a thing. And so all these, it's like, oh, this is a benefit. This is also a drawback because weddings are a time when we want to be, have people together. And so we see the benefit of virtual but we also feel the sting of everything being virtual. Our work lives have changed. A lot of us don't know if we'll ever go back to an office. I read stories about uh, companies selling buildings because they're never going to use them again. Uh, Our social lives have changed. For some of us who weren't very social at the beginning, you've been training for this your entire life, and so your life hasn't changed much. But for some of us who are very social, I'm a very social person, this has been a, a rough time. I, I like having big gatherings and a lot of people, not really close to me, but I like being around people. School has changed for a lot of our teachers that are in our community. They're not even in a classroom anymore. It's changed for them. It's not even an option. For kids, school has changed. Uh, everything has changed. Traveling has changed. I was talking to a buddy of mine who said, who traveled a lot for his work and now he's like, I don't really feel like traveling again and I don't know if I even will. And then I was talking to some of my, we all have those friends that take vacations all the time. Uh, and I was talking to one of them and they said, I don't think that we're going to continue with all of our vacations. And I said to myself, good, because I'm very jealous of all of your vacations. And so, but traveling has changed. We've, what this season has done for us really is we started to re-examine a lot of our commitments. What stays, what goes, what's essential and what's not, we started to re-examine who is in our lives, who, who encourages us, and who really drags us down to the places we don't want to go. We've started to re-examine, and all of us have started to re-examine everything about our lives. One of the things that we're starting to re-examine as we come to this season is what is church all about? Why church? Why do we go to church? It's strange for some of us uh, who haven't been to church, in, uh, like physical church, in months. It's strange for us because we grew up every Sunday going to church. I was texting with a buddy the other day, and, and the last, when I was growing up, the only reason we missed church in so- Southern California was a 7.4 quake in Big Bear that caused us not to go to church because we had to clean up. This, that's, and then we went to church that night. And so it wasn't that, that didn't cause us to miss church. It just kind of postponed the inevitable. But for some of us, that's been a part of our lives. And now we haven't been to church, physical church, 
in months, and some of us are back online, and you're finding that online is very comfortable, and I'm glad for you. Some of us can't come to physical church. It's not wise for you to come to physical church. So online is great, and I'm glad that you found this, and you can connect with each other through this mechanism. But we're starting to question what is church all about? There was a recent survey this week that said one in three Christians are moving away from not only church, but the faith. One in three. So three, think of your three friends who go to church with you. One of those, likely, is moving away from going to church. They haven't been to church since February or early March and probably won't come back. This is a change in our lives and it's causing many of us to ask the question, what does this church thing look like moving forward? Am I going to be all in on it or am I going to be all out? So as we are in this season of re-examining everything, we need to take a closer look of why we gather the way that we do. If I've learned anything from the past six months is to have a conviction about what you're doing, to make sure you know why you're doing, to know why you're, at least in our case, or Carrie, waking up these kids, getting them dressed, getting them fed, and then getting in the, dragging them to church. Why are we uh, not sleeping in on Sunday and then, not to, and then tail, instead of tailgating for the 49ers game? Notice the team there. Uh, why, why, are, why are we missing kickoffs? Why are we doing this? Are we going to be all in with it, a gathered worship, or are we going to be all out? There's a, a in the scary book of Revelation, it's not really that scary, but there's, uh, in the front part of it, in the first four or five chapters, Jesus goes around and he's visiting churches. This is what John is writing. And he comes to the church of Laodicea, and he gives them a harsh picture about this same conviction. Jesus was visiting these churches, and he goes to this one and sees a lack of conviction. And he calls them lukewarm. And it's one of those haunting verses that you think about in the text. Here's what it says in Revelation 3.16. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And when we hear spit out of the mouth in this time, we think COVID, so it's extra dangerous. Uh, but hot and warm in this time, at this place, were useful. There was a medical facility in Laodicea. Hot water felt good. Cold water reduces inflammation. The middle, lukewarm, useless. And so what Jesus is saying here is find your conviction. And this is something that we're lacking in our culture. Stick to it. Give yourself to it. And this is the warning that Jesus has for this church. And it's the same warning that we have in our culture today. Are we going to be convicted to commit to a church? Or are we not? Pick one. Because this lukewarm stuff doesn't go very well. Now, I'm not here to try and, and guilt you back to coming to church. I'm not trying to get you to click in. That's not my style. I'll simply set out what the scripture says and let you decide. Uh, I, I'm not one to give guilt trips. They don't work for me, and I don't think they work for other people. I want you to decide. I want you to have the conviction from the Spirit to decide what to commit to and what not to. I know what we should do, but you have to own it for yourself. So today, we start a three-week series re-examining the church, what we do on a Sunday, what we do as a gathered community, what we do in this relationship with Jesus, because we believe there's three things, and that there's a fourth thing that's overarching. As, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we commit to gathering, 
together, we commit to growing together, and we commit to going together. And in all of that, we have an era of generosity and grace. We gather, grow, and go. So today we kick it off with why the heck do we gather in such a self-reliant individualistic society that we have? Why do we need church? Why do we need each other? Should we even be doing this? This is the questions we ask ourselves. And so there's a lot of wisdom in the book of Hebrews. And when you look at it, this church in Hebrews is going through a ton. It's a church that is starting to uh, feel the weight of persecution. People have been arrested. People have been killed. They've been chased out. They've been fired from their jobs. They've been disowned from their families, all because they said yes to Jesus. So there's this increasing burden of, why am I subjecting myself to this kind of persecution? Why am I doing this? And because of that, their lives were wavering in and out of what to do when it comes to following Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews, she writes this as an encouragement to them to persevere in the things that God uh, of God so they might experience the full measure of God's promises. It's written to a group of Jews who are very familiar with what happened in Exodus and how people would move into the promised land except for a couple tribes decide to stay out. They didn't go fully in. They stayed on the border. And the book of Hebrews shows they never really moved into God's blessing. And so the writer of Hebrews writes this to say, look, don't miss out on what God's doing. Be fully committed. And so in chapter 10, the, the author begins to reference one of the first things that tends to slip away when our lives get difficult. To the, and what slips away is a commitment to the local community. And in so doing... It gives us two reasons, the author gives us two reasons why we should gather. It's the two reasons why the Hebrews gathered, and it's the two reasons why we gather. We gather in order to be reminded, and we gather in order to be encouraged. The first one, we need to be reminded of things. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart full of assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. There are a few nuggets in here, but the first one that we need to see uh, it, it, is that this is leading, this is a conclusion of a previous statement. For the previous chapters, uh, the author has been telling us how good Jesus is, how through Christ we have direct access to God. And that's why there's a therefore at the beginning of this, because it's concluding the argument that began in chapter four, because Jesus is our great high priest. Because of Jesus, we have a connection to God. We don't have to go through the curtain. We can come directly to God. And when life gets more difficult, you don't have to go back to what once was. You can actually stay here and, 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 and enter into the presence of God. See, what they were tempted to do is go back to their previous life. 
They're tempted to go back to the way it was. It's kind of like in Exodus when they, when they leave Egypt and things start to get hard on their journey to the promised land. The first thing they start wishing for is slavery. Because in slavery, they had everything mapped out for them. They had a structure. And now that they're free, they don't know what's going to happen. And so they start thinking slavery is better than freedom. Because they forgot how good they have it now. The grass is always greener where you once were. This is what the author is trying to get them to do. Don't go back to what it was. We need to remember why we're here. It's Jesus why we're here. This is why it says, therefore, since we have confidence. The word confidence is this. Free and fearless. Since you're free and fearless, you're not having to worry that a God is going to smote you if you do something wrong. You're not afraid of God. You can boldly come free and fearless. The word means confidence, cheerful courage, boldness, assured. When's the last time you were free and fearless? It's been a while, right? We took our boys swimming the other day. We found a pool that was open up in Bothell, and we took them swimming, and free and fearless describes my two boys, Judah and Caleb. They are fearless when it comes to water, and it scares the daylights out of us because we'll put them in their life vest, and we have to say, don't move because as soon as that thing's on, they take off. And now they've discovered that they can jump off the ledge of the pool and do tricks whatever that is, and and land. Why are they doing that? Because I'm sitting there ready to catch them. If I'm there and I go, okay, jump, they'll they'll, they'll jump. And they'll jump from any height. But if I'm not there and we say, go ahead and jump, and Carrie and I are kind of watching, they just look down and go, no, this is scary. Their free and fearlessness when it comes to them jumping is rooted in the fact that either Carrie or myself are there to catch them. And they're reminded that we will always be there to catch them so they can be free and fearless. They can be courageous. This is what the author's saying here. We need to be reminded of this in times like what's going on in Hebrews and in times what's happening in our world today. We can be free and fearless. We can have an unswerving confidence that Jesus is with us. That Jesus isn't affected by the economy. That Jesus isn't affected by COVID-19. That Jesus isn't affected by smoke. We can be free and fearless of our faith when our confidence and everything about our faith is rooted in Jesus alone. Because... It starts, it comes from Jesus. We can be assured that it'll never tossed, be tossed, it'll never fade, it'll never crumble, or it'll never shift. This confidence tells us that we don't need to be fearful of God. We can, we can as the text says, draw near to God with this idea of grace and love. Because of Jesus, we come near, not in fear, but we come near because we know that he loves us, because we know that there's grace. Because of Jesus, we are allowed to live free, fearless, bold, and assured because we know that we are completely accepted in what Christ has done for us. 
And for 2,000 years, the church has gathered together in homes, in buildings, in basements, in lawns, in 100-year-old places, in secret places, on secret beaches like they do over in other parts of the world. The church has gathered in order to be reminded of this grace that comes from Jesus alone. We sing about it. I hope we preach about it. It needs to be in everything we do. We gather together to remind ourselves of everything that Jesus has done. Why? Because I forgot what I had for breakfast yesterday. And we are very prone to forget. Lately in life, with our schedule piling up, with things starting to get back to somewhat of normal, we forget things. And we forget that we serve a mighty God who is bigger than our circumstances. And we forget that we have Jesus who is closer than our breath. So we need to come back to this reality and be reminded what Jesus has done. To be reminded of how big our God is. So we see, sing songs together. Which is weird. Right? When's the last time you got together with a bunch of people and sang a song? Unless it's karaoke or a concert. It's strange. I'll admit it. It's a weird thing. But what do the songs do? You ever get a song stuck in your head? I have Frozen 2 in my head all week. You ever get a song stuck in your head? It just lives there. Well, what are the lyrics of these songs that we sing? Who are they about? What's it do? It reminds you. Songs remind us. There are reminders. In some way, we are singing the gospel to ourselves. The songs remind us about Jesus. We sing those songs because in the world where everything is a moving target, singing reminds us of the pure truth that's set in stone and won't move. No matter what comes from social media, no matter what comes from the news, no matter what comes from the neighborhood app, no matter what comes in our lives, Jesus is the hope. Jesus is our high priest. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he died and rose, our sins are buried with him. We need to be reminded of that. So the author continues, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, because The one who promises this is faithful. The word unswervingly in Greek means unswervingly. It it means something that doesn't bend. It means something that is stable. It means something that is firm. It means something that is unmoved. This is why we gather. This is why we sing. This is why we have the authority of Scripture to be reminded of the unshakable, unmoved, unbending hope that we have in Jesus alone. Our services aren't meant to be inspiring, though sometimes they are. Our services aren't meant for you to get the chills, although sometimes you do. It's not to be entertained, although we hope we're not boring. It, it's, it, that's not why we're here. That's not what we're meant to be. Our services aren't meant to scratch your politically motivated itch or your personal, your personal standpoint of what you believe or what you want to take. We're not here to espouse an agenda. We're not here to espouse a social agenda or personal philosophies or whatever is coming up next. Why? Because those things bend. It's like an aluminum can with all those things. You can just kind of crumble them or or the water bottle that crushes very easily. Those things change with every single minute of the day. And that doesn't give us much hope. So we're reminded to the one, about the one thing that doesn't move, and that's Jesus. He doesn't move. He's not bended. 
He's never wavering. We're gathered to be reminded of how Jesus is in the middle of the craziest craziness of our life. There's a story about an old, an old guy in a senior citizen's home, and, and he, uh, he was living there, and, and he would walk around with a tuning fork. Some of you have heard this story before. Walk around with a tuning fork that was tuned to C, middle C on the piano that's not really in the middle, but middle C. And he'd walk around, and, and he would slap it on his knee, and then he'd put it to his ear, and he'd hear it. And so finally, one person asked him, hey, bud, what, what's with the tuning fork? And he says, with everything that is moving in my life, with the, the, the doctors and everything coming in, friends dying, all this stuff, this will always be C. No matter anything that happens, this is C. Jesus acts as our middle C, right? No matter anything that happens, we are reminded that we could slap that tuning fork and put it to our ear and be reminded that his love doesn't change. The one who promises is faithful, meaning not wavering, unbending steel. It doesn't move. We gather in order to be reminded. We gather again in order to be encouraged. In Hebrews 10, 24, it says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's a popular verse and we've taught about it here before in this same series. It's always there. It's, a, it's kind of like one of those smack reminder verses. Don't give up meeting together. And there's a reason for it because we give up meeting together. We're prone to forget. But there's a hidden command here. It's not just think about this, consider meeting together, or consider how you can encourage. The Greek word is more like this. Fix your eyes on it. Commit to, to encouraging one another. Commit, uh, be observant. Do this when you gather together. Encourage one another. It's a command so let's put it together how it says. It, think about and do the practical things that will spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That word spur is the word encourage. It's, it's, this is kind of nerdy stuff, but the word spur in, in the languages is always like an annoying or irritating thing. Whenever that word is used, it's usually not used for a good thing. It's the rock in your shoe. It's the sound that won't go away. It's the buzz. It's just, oh, that thing is so annoying. But the way it's used here is annoy one another to do good things. Be that person that's always encouraging. Be the person that's always pushing. It do annoy each other in a good way. So it's a bit striking if you're looking at it in the language, it's just like, wait, annoying is bad, but you're telling me to be the good kind of annoying. I don't know what that is, but it means to exasperate, to irritate one another. Well, it, and this is one of the obligations that we have as believers, to encourage each other in the most annoying way possible. Okay? You have my permission to be annoying in a good way. Be annoying. Why? Because in a world of division... In a world of cynicism, in a world of fear, in a world of self-promotion, and whatever else, loving and doing good stuff goes unseen, and it's the last thing on our minds. 
So we need to be reminded of Jesus and we need to be reminded and encouraged in the most annoying way possible to do good things. And here it says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see these days approaching by meeting together sometimes, uh, by meeting together is how we encourage And there's some things that we can do by ourselves just fine, but keeping the faith when everything is going wrong around you is not one of those things. Living with hope and having hope and doing good things takes more than just yourself. It takes other people to spur you along because the temptation is this, I want to give up. When things get hard, I don't want to hold to hope. I want to hold the bitterness. When I'm mad at somebody, I don't want to be kind. I want to be ticked. And so when it's spur each other on in the midst of all these troubles to do something that's good, this is radical in their lives. This is why the author says meet together. And your failure to gather together is not only detriment to you, it's a discouragement to others. Remember, Hebrews is written to a group of people who were being beaten, prisoned, and killed. And, and so they know that without the constant encouragement, they probably wouldn't make it through. Because it's impossible to find encouragement when you're in isolation. You can only talk yourself up so many times. And so one of the ways that we encourage one another is to make sure that we show up in each other's lives. Difficult times are easier to navigate when someone's with you. Good times are much easier to celebrate when someone's with you. Overcoming life's obstacles is easier when you're close with other people who believe like you, who challenge you, not just believe like you so you have your own echo chamber, but who challenge you to grow, who spur you on, who irritate you to think about things and encourage you. It's easier to live life when you know people around you love you and people can walk through it together. Their presence speaks to you. And if their presence speaks to you, so does their absence. If your presence speaks to somebody, so does your absence. Have you ever tried a workout or diet regimen all by yourself? Yes. Okay, good. That was a question. Uh, How did it go? Not very good right? Doing things on your own, especially when it's a new thing, is hard to do. Going to the gym when you're all by yourself and remaining consistent is one of the most difficult things to do. That's why we have gym buddies, right? Someone to meet you there. Someone to say, call you if you decided to sleep in. Someone to uh, razz you when you do something wrong or razz you if you're not making the progress. A good gym buddy will point out the positive results before you even notice it. A good gym buddy will celebrate the milestones with you. They'll spot you when you can't get the weight off of your chest. They'll, They'll tell you to hurry up when you're sandbagging a workout. Now that's irritating encouragement, right? That's annoying encouragement. But that's what the author's saying. We need those kind of people in our lives because it's effective encouragement. It keeps you waking up when all you want to do is sleep in and eat pancakes. 
It shows you the bright side of your life when all you see is the darkness. It shows you that you're not alone. The author's telling us this, gather together simply because being present with one another contributes to a culture that encourages each other with a word, with a touch, with a connection. Now we live in a culture that's hyper-individualized. No matter what, the size of the church, your presence means a lot because of the hyper-individualized culture. Showing up to somebody means everything. And so at a time when our gatherings are limited in what we can't do, it becomes a lot more difficult to gather together. But that's not a reason to isolate The command is this, encourage one another. And so in times like this, when the noise is super loud, it means encourage someone even louder than you ever had before. It means reaching out on the phone when that person comes to your mind. It means logging into Zoom or Google to have that face-to-face connection. It means writing that card, putting the stamp on it. Remember when you used to lick stamps? Anyways, it means writing the card and putting the stamp on it and sending it. It means dropping off the meal, the flowers, the gift on the doorstep randomly. It means stepping out of your comfort zones and stepping into Zoom rooms so you can see people face to face. For some, it might mean uh, attending a socially distanced gathering just to know that there's other living, breathing human beings next to you. For some, it might mean joining a small group, not just so that you could be encouraged, and you will be, but because your presence, either in the flesh or digitally, will encourage somebody else. Our presence encourages, but our presence also breaks strongholds. One of the most fascinating stories in scripture is Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. Some of you are singing the song in your head right now. Uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. And so, but the story is they, they, they come across the promised land, they cross the Jordan, and then they, they come to Jericho and God says, here's how you're going to beat it. You're going to march around it one time every morning for six days, march around the city. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times. And when you're done with that, you're going to take your mask off and you're going to blow your trumpet and, and, and bang your drums and play your horns. And then you're going to watch the walls come tumbling down. And so they do exactly this. They march together. And in the text, they're singing praises of God. And in doing so, they were encouraging one another. They weren't alone. Now, this is the first time that they had ventured or done anything without the fire and the smoke of the Lord to guide them. This is the first time they felt like they were by themselves. This is the first challenge they've come up against. And what does God do? He has them walk around together. He has them walk around and sing together. Now, what were they singing? Most likely praise songs. Most likely telling the story of the last 40 years in the wilderness in the way that God has provided for them. They are reminding themselves of who God is. And in doing so, they were encouraging themselves of what God was going to do. They realized that God was still with them. Not because God had done anything yet. He hadn't yet. But because in the voices of the person next to them, they heard what God had done. And the strongholds of their fear and their strongholds of their discouragement began to crumble. And then all of a sudden, the physical walls around them began to crumble. 
Too many of us feel like we're walking around in circles all by ourselves. Life has happened fast. A lot of changes, a lot of things taken away, a lot of things added, a lot of things gone missing. And every one of us needs some reminding. Every one of us needs some encouragement and reminding that we're not just walking around by ourselves. We need to be reminded of Jesus. And in being reminded, we need the encouragement of Jesus. So here's what I'd like us to do. Today, if you're with us online, I want you to post something good. Something good that's happened to you in the past week. It might take some thinking. Post something good in the comments if you're able to. If you're not, log on later, post something good. If you're with us in person today, talk to somebody before you leave. Something good that's happened. Uh, This week at the gym, or I'll tell you something good that's happened with us. Judah started school in person on Thursday. To see the smile on that boy's face when he came home. He went to school. He saw kids. He's probably sick of Carrie and I. And he's tired of his little brother stealing his toys. But he was thrilled. That was a great thing. He was excited. And that for a dad, that's a wonderful thing. We need to be reminded that there's still good around us. The other day at the gym, as we were warming up, uh, the coach usually has us do something uh, name and our favorite food. But this time he challenged us. He said, I want your name and something positive that's happened in the past week. And everyone went, what? It's six in the morning, nothing positive yet. But soon it was weird to hear the good things that has been happening in the eight other people that were there. It was an encouragement. Why? Because all we've heard is bad stuff. It's time we have good news. It's time to get happy, people. It's time to have joy. Hi, Caleb. Good to see you. Okay. Okay. Come on. Hi. This is Caleb. He's thrilled his brother went to school too. So what I'd like us to do is talk about something that's good, that's happened in your life. Next, I want you to know this. Who's the person in your life that you need to reach out to? Who's the person that's come to mind over and over that you go, eh, I'll get to him later. Who's the person you need to encourage? And this is what I want us to do right now. Every one of you, take out your phone. It's okay. It's all right. Take out your phone. You didn't bring your phones? Wow, you guys are special. Okay, take out your phone. Text somebody. Text somebody and say, hi, I miss you thinking about you. Maybe it's the person you haven't seen. You want to go see mama? Okay. Maybe it's the person you haven't seen in months. Yeah, she's over there. Text them. Encourage them. And tomorrow, pick somebody else. And then Wednesday, pick somebody else. You see where I'm going with this? As the person comes to your mind, just a note saying, hey, Miss you, miss seeing you, miss talking with you. Schedule a phone call, schedule an outdoor meetup at one of the breweries. Hey, say I'll come to church with you on the lawn next week or when we start meeting indoors here. I'd love to see you again. But in doing so, you are doing exactly what the author of Hebrews tells us to do. While we are distant, we can still be encouraging. Look, we need each other. 
We need the gatherings of people to keep us all going and everything around us tells us that we should quit. This is why we gather. This is why we have each other. To remind us about Jesus and to remind each other to keep going. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can gather, that you designed this Christian life not to be lived on our own, not to be isolated, but to gather together and be encouraged, to gather together and love one another, to remind us of how good you are when the world around us wants to tell us how bad everything is. May we fix our eyes on you because you are the one who keeps the promises. And God, we thank you that we have one another to keep us going through this time. To keep pushing us to do better things, to do good things, to remind us that we're not fighting this fight alone, that we have people walking in circles with us and will sing with us and stand with us and do the hard stuff with us and we can watch the strongholds come crumbling down because we're not alone we thank you for the community of believers that you are building here at Bethany Ballard via online via in congregation in small groups and gatherings we thank you that we have one another now may we be irritating to each other And it's in Jesus' name we pray.